We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. And Mike, there is a great sense of optimism around the team. Every Laker fan that I talk to is really excited about the games coming back. And today's the first day where the Lakers come back to practice. We're recording before that, but only a couple hours before then. And so for all intents and purposes, done with the All-Star break. And the Lakers have a shot, right? We got this team where about half the roster has turned over. Really excited about what we saw in the couple of games with them. But there's a lot of work to do, Mike. And so that's what I wanted to talk about today is Lakers are getting back to work. And there's a lot of work ahead of us with not a lot of time to do it. I'm curious your impressions of this idea, Mike, from the people you talk to around the team. Kind of where is the mindset in terms of what the work ahead is? I think that's all pretty obvious and commonplace for like I think they all know and have a pretty similar vision of what they have to do. And it's win a lot more games than they lose. To me, what the more interesting aspect of that is how they do it from a basketball perspective. And so I'm going to flip this on you as somebody that just watched, as we discussed in the last podcast, uh, the game against the Pelicans six times. (laughs) And we now have a pretty good idea about what the rotation is going to be. So, Pete, what have what did the coaches do over the last week? What did they discuss? What worked well there? What are the simple actions like the screen roll, like with LeBron and AD that they started with, with D'Angelo Russell eventually taking some more screen roll action himself? And what are the what are the the, the more, I don't want to say complicated, but some of the things that might take a little more nuance for them to work in? So what what happened after they watched that film and had these seven days to figure out what to do against the Warriors and ever, everyone else moving forward? I mean, the first thing I just want to acknowledge is the degree of skipping the line and kind of landing on a rotation that it's I mean, they're going to be, I think, a, a few kinks to iron out here and there. But just that these are our 10 guys and I this should work theoretically, you know, these these different lineups, uh, I think is just a great place to start that they can kind of move into the more of the intermediate stuff. So, Mike, my mind actually goes to the defensive end first and 
as you said, we need to win a lot of these games coming up. And to do so, I think having team-specific game plans, at least to a certain degree, is more necessary now than it is earlier in the season. This is closer to playoff mode, where it would be helpful to tailor our game plan to specific opponents more and more as time comes up. And really, the biggest... The biggest uh, moving part that I would love to see what Darwin has up his sleeve for the rest of the year is Anthony Davis and how to deploy him defensively. I looked this up a couple of weeks ago, and we had only played two big lineups like 7% of the time. Now, that's going to change with this new group. But AD has played almost exclusively the five spot, Mike. And I think that's probably likely to stay that way. I don't think we're going to have a ton of AD Bomba minutes, for example, even though they should you know, overlap maybe a couple minutes here and there. And so how AD is deployed, I'm fascinated by because he's one of the few guys in the NBA, Mike, that can be an elite rim protector, but also has a slider of sorts where you can, if you think of him on this plane going up the middle of the court, he can be the guy that's right in the restricted area, blocking shots of Brandon Ingram, as we saw at the top of the square on the glass, or he can go all the way out and blitz a guard. And that's not something we've done a, a ton of, but he's also elite at that. And he might be the only guy in the NBA that can do both of those things at an elite level. So that's one of the things I'm curious about, Mike, is defensively, how has this team changed? And in what ways can we deploy AD, especially as he looks to be feeling better and better? I think AD on the defensive end and the glass is super important going forward. Well, and if Davis continues to score efficiently, and I think he'll, he had a bit of a cold streak, but then he was 13 for 17 against the Pelicans and getting whatever he wanted. But he's going to get to the free throw line. Like his points, I think, will come in this group, but he can devote more of his own resources to defense just by having mm-hmm. some additional offensive pop uh, out there. And I think there is a difference there between Russell and Beasley. And now having Shooter coming in off the bench and Austin Reeves coming in off the bench, all guys that can create some offense and get some things going. So if Davis then can, and I think he did this in the 1920 season, that was the end of the floor that he took the most pride in. And then as he was kind of getting going on that end, I think that helps lead into some of his offense at the five. It's a little different though, when he's in that drop and he isn't getting out in transition and getting those three to four easy buckets a game. Uh, that sometimes come. So there are certain there are certain opportunities where I'd love to see them say, hey, AD, let's you go ahead once in a while and get out in the perimeter mm-hmm. and have Vanderbilt drop or have LeBron drop or maybe their lineups when Mo Bamba can. And so you can get him some some reward buckets and just some opportunities that way. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that defensive place is the good part to start. And to layer a question back in for you, if the rotation is as we think, right, and it's so it's Russell Beasley, LeBron, Vanderbilt, and Davis, and then off the bench it was Reeves, Schroeder, Brown, Hachimura, Bamba. What you've also got two guys for sure, but in Wendy Gabriel and Nani Walker the fourth that are sort of easily replicable in some ways as to as to some guys that are in that group. Where if if it's if there's a an injury or an ankle turn or some guy's going to miss a couple days. You know, you could slot Lonnie into a couple of those places, uh, including for Beasley, uh, including for Reeves off the bench, even if he does different things. And then mm-hmm. you could have Wenyan come in for Bamba. Um, you could have Wenyan even come in for a little bit harder in the starting lineup because he's not really defending on the perimeter like Vanderbilt can. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you could you could then slot Hachimura into that spot and Wenyan could play the backup spot. And I even like Davon Reed a little bit. Uh, and we all yeah. know how we feel about Max Christie. So it's it's a it's a group where. 
there are roles now. Here's the starting five. Here's what the bench does. And then guys can just take those spots um, if needed. And that that's going back to what you had said the other day about it being just sort of a sensible roster at last after it wasn't as balanced the last couple of years. I think that sensibility leads us back to convention, Mike. I feel like, uh, you know, in the in the NFL, for example, if they have a if a new quarterback comes in, say your starter gets hurt and you put in your backup and he's only been with the team for a couple of weeks, they'll talk about like, yeah, we had to cut the playbook down in half for this game in order to run things. And the unconventionality of the previous version of the team, which we often associate with Russ, and he was a big part of that, but it wasn't only because of uh, because of him that like. I feel like we have more of our playbook opened up in ways where like a lot of the reason why you draw up a play, Mike, is to get a guy open. But in reality, that wasn't really our problem. A lot of the times it would be defenses would invite whomever that player was open, whether it be Russ, but it could also be Dennis. They'd be helping off of players and kind of consolidating into the paint in ways that that's weird. There's nobody else in the NBA that you really guard that way. And so that's one of the things in terms of getting back to work that like opening up like, hey, we can run a little more conventional stuff. You do have to worry about us on the perimeter. What does that look like? To me, this all-star break, Mike, that installing packages for shooters on the offensive end in particular and just getting open looks in that way is one of the biggest differences between what we were doing before and what we can do now. So with the starting lineup, then, how does that look for Russell and for Beasley, right? What are LeBron and AD doing in those types of actions? Where's Vanderbilt supposed to go? Ooh, awesome, succinct question there. So uh, there are a few things. I let, Let's break it up into a couple of parts and start with Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, as we know, is not really a shooter. He may knock down one out of three for you on you know one attempt per game, but he's the one player on the floor that doesn't have any perimeter gravity at all. And so... I think that pairing those guys with the guy who's, who can really shoot, Beasley in particular, but you can do this with with Russell as well, that that just creates a certain gravity that cancels out maybe where that guy can be. Also, Vanderbilt's great in the dunker spot and in ways that he can really you know affect the game from there. And so that's one of the things I loved uh, about what we were doing. But one thing that I found was really interesting was the amount that we put AD in the middle of the floor. Now, this requires some explanation. In a normal four-out type of offense, you generally don't want anybody lingering in the mid-range because it it shuts down a lot of driving lanes. But one thing that we did a lot in the Pelicans game, and we've done a bit uh, in the previous games as well without LeBron, but with this new crew, is put AD like right in the middle and run what's called like split post actions. So he's like right in the middle of the free throw line or the top of the key, but right in the center. And you've got the two slot positions, which is usually LeBron and Russell or some Someone like that operating off of, you know, they'll cut off of a handoff or it'll flow into a ball screen or something like that. And so what this is, is basically there's a distinction between four, four out drive and kick type of offense is set up for dribble penetrators. So a Russell Westbrook type, right? You create this well-spaced environment. We know you're going to be able to drive to the basket. That's going to collapse the defense drive and kick, right? Somebody's going to be open as a result of that. When you have shooters, five out principles are more common. Golden State, for example, runs mostly five out stuff because it's more player movement, ball movement style of offense. And so seeing what we what we do with AD and where we put him and kind of how he operates within this, we may see less like of a paint assault type of offense, which we'd had 
you know, uh, developed decently well over the course of this season and more of that player and ball movement style. And one of the great things about that, Mike, is D'Lo and Mike ha- or D'Lo and LeBron have a certain degree of interchangeability that in that they can both be the on ball playmaker, but also be the off ball shooter that I think that they can really do some cool stuff there. All right. Can we zoom in on Russell for a minute here, please? Russell has now been traded like four times and has been, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and it's just a, it's not, it's not something I think that feels great. Although to be traded, of course, the other team typically at least has to have some degree of want for you. So it's not, it's not like you're completely getting rejected all the time, but it's, it's still, it's also saying the team that moves you doesn't want you enough. So there's right. a part of that, I think that plays into a way that Russell probably felt. Um, when he was drafted by the Lakers, even though it was number two overall, it, whatever he was doing was not good enough, like for not necessarily just the fan base, but just for the situation, like for a team that was desperate to get back on top. And so I think that he's kind of because of that, he's developed somewhat of a shell uh, in this. I'm not saying this in a bad way at all, but I think that he's he's got kind of a, a, pr- a protective shell um, around him. But totally when he walks this. into this. Yeah. Yeah. So so he walks into this Lakers team now. And he does have that shell, but with this specific fit, Pete, it I think it makes a lot more sense for him than some of the previous stops that he's been in. Brooklyn was fine. I, that was more of a low-pressure situation. Teams weren't expecting a lot from them. They were mostly younger and kind of out there just playing hard, and, and it worked pretty well for the first part of the season up until the point where it didn't late. But the situation that he's in now relative to what it was in Minnesota – where the way that LeBron James and Anthony Davis play is just a little bit more sensible and sort of direct than the way that the Timberwolves were shaping up with, okay, well, cats at the five. What does that mean defensively? Oh, wait, he's popping now. He doesn't, he doesn't really post up a ton. We got this 20 year old hot shot and Anthony Edwards, who's great, but like, isn't necessarily playing within the team concept. You know, how do you navigate that? Then you got, um, you got Jaden McDaniels, there's just a lot of stuff going on with what with what that ask was for Russell. And he was supposed to be what in that he was supposed to be sort of like the um, the calming centerpiece who could still go get a shot. I, I just think that his role here ends up being so much more simplified um, and in not asking too much of him. So we've seen a couple games so far with him. And I I wondered what your overall takeaway applying what you've seen so far is for how he can finish this season. And then who knows moving forward with this Laker group. Yeah, this pod today was almost a full D'Lo pod. He's really been on my mind, Mike, because he's the first guy where I covered him right when LFR was starting. And then he leave, you know, he leaves for a few years and comes back. And he's been saying in his post-game interviews and his walk-offs a lot, like, I'm a grown man now. This is something that he's repeated a few times, which is to say, like, I'm not the kid I was when I left here. And there's a certain amount of, and this may be me seeing what I want to see, but like the way he's defending, for example, he's super locked in and and doing his job. That's the type of thing when I say like we need guys to defend professionally. 
is what I mean. Like if you lose a possession, if you lose a possession because you are physically incapable or the guy across from you beat you, that's fine. But stay locked in. Like he had had a play where I forget what he did on, on the offensive end and then came down and fight, fought over the top of a screen on Murphy and dove on the floor and knocked it out of bounds. And Chris Gent got up off the Laker bench and the whole bench was like, hey, let's go. Like I don't remember D'Lo doing a ton of that. And I think that that's part of the reason why he's been traded four times. And that's part of my remaining skepticism about him, Mike, is it's so funny going from Westbrook to him in that it's really this going from fire to ice type of style. Russ is so fire in terms of like, he's a firebender in terms of how he plays. And we go from him to literally Mr. Ice in his veins. But sometimes it can be, hey, we need you to heat up a little bit. We need you to turn up the intensity a bit. And so that is one thing I've seen in these three games so far from him, Mike, is he's got an opportunity ahead of him and the Lakers do in total. But like like you said, he fits in in a way that naturally fits his game. And so he can really take advantage of this opportunity if he goes for it. And so let's take a break and come back. Talk about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, the opportunity that the Lakers have with Russell coming in is, of course, limited some by what their current place in the standings are short term. So if they don't put it together and make some kind of a run, then the questions are, well, why not? And how much how much does that apply to what they do in the offseason? And is it a 
is it a good enough push by this group that whether it's from the front office or fans or us or whoever is thinking, yeah, I, I man, kind of like the way that this group fits together. Maybe try to keep most of this intact and then run it back for next year and ensure add a key piece here or there. Or you know what? That just wasn't good enough. Uh, Russell, for example, is is either is part of the reason why and is going to need to find a whole new team. Or he was the part of the he was part of the puzzle that did really work. So now you have to factor that in for somebody that's going to be a, a more expensive contract than at least some of the other guys that you could retain. And then that's going to keep you potentially out of certain free agency conversations. So even amidst this good basketball situation and some opportunity, it's not it's not bereft of uh, of some of that kind of anxiety. I think that would come where you're just you're just there with a long term contract and you're the guy. But I'm choosing to to view it the way that you are. And and I don't think it's being Pollyanna to do so. Like, I, I think that there are it's it's better for Russell to play well and to sort of to play the way that I think that he wants to play with this group um, than, than it is for some of what we saw in, the, in his past stints, some of those bad habits and some of those things that, uh, that aren't ideal. I just don't see those happening uh, in, this, in this stretch of games. Um, I, I would be surprised if they do. And to start with the defensive side of the court, the one thing about Timberwolves' league pass, Russell, he was better defensively this year. Mm-hmm. He was better. So that's that is one thing that he is. And it's not that he's the he's not the greatest athlete relative to other NBA athletes. He, of course, is a great athlete. This is one of those this things like when Austin Reeves was trying to say that he's not a great athlete. Like, yes, you are relative yeah, to 99.9 percent of the yes. world. <laughs> but when you're when you're walking in next to LeBron and Anthony Davis, you probably don't feel like as great of an athlete um, as, as you probably should. <laughs> yeah. So that's the qualifier. And, and so Russell Here's Russell now, and I think that he's he's going to have that proper level of defensive intensity, and I think that that's not something that he's just going to turn on now. He's been playing like that for most of the year. I think that what Russell's situation in Minnesota was that he was just kind of frustrated with what that team was and what the idea of that team was trying to be, and, and it was confusing. If, if you were to tell the Delos story of the last year or two in Minnesota, like tell his experience from his perspective, what would your observations be? Well, I'm so I'll, I'll just give you a big qualifier here because I don't I don't want to try to get too much inside of his head. Like I talked to him about it for about three minutes, okay, mm-hmm. and I watch a lot of Wolves games and I talk to some people there. So this is a this is a very um, surface level take, uh, okay, it, but. So I just think that there's a certain there's a certain style of basketball and a certain I think X's and O's and that meeting what players can do that Russell thinks that he has figured out about the game. Um, who is now, as he said, he's a man now. Like he is a veteran. He has mostly played point guard uh, and and if sometimes off the ball. And the conception of that team, the, there are two two issues with it. One, he didn't finish last season well in terms of how he played in the postseason, and that. That's where Memphis exposed some of what his weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. And and that's, you know, because he's not a number one guy. But at times with a 20 year old Anthony, uh, Anthony Edwards and with where Cat was in his progression, he was sort of in a playoff series asked to fill some of those moments. Mm-hmm. And there aren't a lot of guys in the whole league that do that. So I'm I'm not excusing it like he wasn't good enough to do that. But I don't think that's his best. I don't think that's his best role. So that's one thing that's part of what happened in the postseason. Like he he can he can end up taking too many jump shots. He, he's not quite athletic enough 
always to get into the middle of the paint against a high level defense with Jaron Jackson Jr. coming over to help. Right. And if the jump shot isn't falling on a given night, then is he giving you a ton on the defensive end from that position? You know, not necessarily. So he he ended up just being sort of he, he got put into a box to some degree um, as that playoff series went on. And this is, again, where you think that would be different if he's playing next to LeBron and AD, right, where he is not the guy that has to do that much. Um, or if he does, it's when the defense is loaded up in the other part of the court. So that's that's the one qualifier. And, and, and I guess it sounds like an excuse if you're looking at it from the way from the how Russell can succeed standpoint. But I, I was tried to be transparent there that that's also that that does show some of the limitations. So that's that's the one thing. Now, the Wolves get out of that or they lose that series. They make this. I'm just trying to find an adjective that isn't too harsh. But they they just choose to make the trade for Gobert, <laughs> and yeah. it's just as a point guard, right? Like this, I think I think he. I'm not speaking for him, but if I, if I were him, I'd be I'd have the same reaction that I had as somebody viewing from afar. Well, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> Real truly, what am I supposed to do with so Cat and Rudy Gobert are going to be on the court together at the same time? Well, where's what's Towns going to do when Gobert comes to set a screen? Oh, and I, I can't even give Gobert the ball most of the time on screen roll because right. he doesn't catch it. And then if he does catch it, if he's not next to the hoop, he he can't do it. He doesn't have a baby hook, you know. He doesn't have like a push shot. So what? So that's one thing. Then defensively, what are you supposed to do when you've got two bigs essentially? So I ju- I just think that there was some, uh, some some frustration, and not from him, from anybody that would be trying to figure out what was going to work. So then, Cat goes down the team starts to make a little bit more sense in, in terms of, and, and they've been fine since then. Like, what are they, the six seed um, at the moment? No, they're the, okay, they're, they're the eight. Isn't that funny? Because Cat's an elite talent, right? But when a team, just the shape of it makes sense, in a lot of ways, that can exceed an individual talent. That is limited also. Like, I, obviously, you have to have both, right, to have a yes. really good team. Yes. You got to have the talent and the fit and all that. But so this, so that's the, I'm giving you a little bit of the longer version of this. But as the season goes on then, and I think that Russell, so he, he's he been having his most efficient shooting year ever. Uh, and part of that, I think, is because once the team started to make sense, and even as limited as Gobert is, you sort of know what you're going to do uh, with that group. And started to know where his shots were going to come from, was fine defensively. The team the team was fine. They were they were the sixth seed up until they lost that terrible game uh, for them against Washington when, you know, Coos and Bradley Beal had back-to-back threes in the final minute, essentially, um, to, to put the Timberwolves down to the eight spot. So so that's the whole, and of course, D'Lo wasn't there playing in that game. And I just think that went from so from the time that he went there, where they were, the Wolves were very excited about getting him uh, from Golden State, and Golden State was very eager to make that trade in the inverse, to bring Wiggins in, mm-hmm. and they get the lottery pick in Kaminga. So I just thought that was, that was a bad trade, not D'Lo's fault, but that was a bad trade for Minnesota by Gerson Rosas, who was no longer there, um, where they gave up too much. And they they thought that he was going to be sort of a certain type of a fit with Carl Anthony Towns, which on offense, I think, was was true to an extent, but had its limitations in, in that neither one of them is that true driver um, of offense exactly. of like as efficient as they are and as like super skilled. Like it's a super skilled tandem. You you see those two guys in two on two, and you're like, oh man, they're going to be tough to stop from scoring. But mm-hmm. uh, but we, we can stop them from scoring 
because both of them will ultimately want to take a jump shot. That's oh, right. that's my whole thing. Like LeBron and AD in the in the real world. How do you really win in the NBA? So so that's all. It, it just ended up being a little bit miscast, and he couldn't quite be just like a number three there um, because of the particular makeup of that squad. So here we are now, and and that's why I think that he's got such a better chance of fitting into a a, a good a good number three spot uh with this group and he's got to he's got to keep playing that certain level of competitive defense and he's going to have some limitations there and there might be spots where you you would just rather have Dennis Schroeder in for a few possessions if, if Schroeder's going and, and you need the full pr- the, the full court pressure on a quick point guard like that kind of thing uh but Pete let me now let me now stop that and let you come uh, let you re- react to some of the Minnesota stuff and, and how he fit no, I think that's great context and the fit alongside Townsend Gobert and just like the downhill nature or lack thereof of of Cat, who's a guy, like you said, his preference is going to be to shoot a jump shot. And he's very good at that, as is D'Lo. But that's one of the things that I think that the last year and a half has shown us is just the importance of having complementary skill sets. And now Russ is with uh, the Clippers. And now we'll talk about that, I'm sure, as time goes on. But that's a team of jump shooters that needed an athlete, right? And so that's something that that has a, a possibility, right? We'll, we'll talk about that more, Mike. I don't want to derail it uh, eh. too much. Okay, yeah. Well, no, no. We'll, and we of can, course, we can it, say that. Of course, there are dozens of ways it it can and probably will go wrong as well, right? But that whole like how do players fit together? Like is it what they na- is what they naturally do complementary to the main point of the team? And I think that this is the first time that Delo is in a situation where what he does, he's not overasked like or he's not asked to do too much but also what he is asked to do is important and a big part of like complementing what the main guys do and so it's this sweet spot that is combined with a certain level of intensity from him and focus yeah. on a day, on a play to play basis that I've been super impressed with and so it's like the opportunity is ahead of him, right? Not just the team, but for a guy like D'Lo to look very good in these circumstances and to really show how he can impact winning. And so with the Lakers back to work today, Mike, I'm curious, like kind of what that looks like. Well, just to, to strip it down to as basic as I could think and using something that you've said consistently for the last couple of years is just the whole skill guard element next to LeBron and AD. And that, mm-hmm. that at its root, somebody that can, that can cross over, that can step back, that's got a three-point shot, that can finish, that is crafty, those kind of things. So that's that's the one part that I'm I'm excited to keep seeing uh, flourish for him. I don't we don't have to spend a lot of time on, on the rust to the clipper thing, but I think it's a good, I think it's a good counterbalance or or even a way to understand this a little better. So Rust to me, and I think you've emphasized this in certain lineups, right, can still have a value add. In, in the way that he'll, he can push tempo and he can get into the paint, right? And so if the Clippers like to go small and not play a center a lot, and so they'll, they'll remove Avica Zubats and maybe they put in, say, like Marcus Morris or sometimes Robert Covington. And then, it, it, of course, it's PG and it's Kawhi. And then who knows in the backcourt? Like sometimes it's Terrence Mann. Sometimes it's, it's mm-hmm. Nick Batum, right? It's, it's any one number of these sort of mostly two-way wings, right? Like which which plays into part of what I really like. But then the Clippers are the team that I always end up sounding like a hypocrite for because you would think, oh, I would love a team like that that can play in these multiple directions. But the whole key to me in going and being able to have a functioning small lineup that really will go far and win 
is that you have to have rim protection with that yeah. group still. And they've never had that's the that's the swing player they've never had. And they still don't. Like Mason Plumley is not that player. Like he's a, a bit of rim protection, but not in the sense where he can play that style. He can run up and down and he can switch and he can shoot. He doesn't have enough skill, you know, to, to do that. Anthony Davis does, right? So then what happens now? They pull out one of those other guys. So instead of Nick Batum or instead of Covington, it's Russ, let's say. So because you, you cannot play Russ with the Zubats and or Plumlee groups, um, mm-hmm. as I think we've seen for, for the last several years. So if you're playing him then with George and with Kawhi, uh, and let's say we'll give him Morris and Terrence Mann, say. So if that's your five, then how is that group really going to stop you from getting into the paint? Um, and how is that group like if Russ is you're going to Russ is going to create some pressure going to the rim. OK, but aren't you still just going to just back off and then you can stick with the shooters a little more? So I'm that's the part of it where I, I'm not this does not need to be our typical I'm saying that with the way that Russ plays can't work. And you're saying that it can in optimal situations. But if I'm the defense there, I'd still probably rather have that be the situation where I know something that I can load up on. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm curious how you would, you would put that with what he can do. And then, and then trying to make you do a difficult thing of tying that back to D'Lo <laughs> and what his situation is with the Lakers. So there, here's a complex, here's a complex problem. Please solve. You, you know, I love, I love puzzles. So, uh, so I agree with the majority of what you're saying there. I do think that having shooting for the kickouts, like one of the things that's peculiar about Russ is that how to guard him is, you know, everyone knows how to guard him, but you need a certain level of personnel to do it in terms of size. And so if he gets matched up against a small guard that doesn't have a lot of strength, then, and you have to worry about staying on a Paul George or a Kawhi Leonard or a Morris, a Powell, all these guys that you don't want to leave open for a wide open shot, then Russ can go through those smaller players still in a way that puts you in a little bit of a, of a predicament. One of the things that I see as a, a dissonance for them is he just plays at a different pace of what those other guys do. I actually really like the the setup of he's the athlete that can get downhill. You got shooters around him. I actually do think he can play with Zoo. I just think everybody else has to be a shooter out there and you can't have a second guy who can't shoot alongside. But he's always been good with that role man. Lobs. Yeah, 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 the yeah. Gafford and Zoo's a great role yeah. man, right? I don't know if Zoo rolls as fast as he'll need to with Russ. And that's the, just the big thing that I see there as being a little bit bit off is like russ just plays that oh, who, speed who chess was, um, in a way was it jones that no who, who was it which which laker big now is i i can't remember where we like oh that should fit and then he just wasn't catching up to russ yeah that, that was jones yeah jones was, okay? was, yeah, yeah, was yeah. one of them yeah, yeah where they just roll at a different tempo than the other guy does but that said zoo's a very good role guy great hands you know they'll if they have enough time they'll figure some of that out but i just think russ plays at a different tempo and pace than a lot of those guys do that said i do view him as i've, I've thought that they've needed a small ball center for ages in ways that where they can really defend like like you were alluding to and i think that he he helps defensively but doesn't quite provide what that particular group will need but it should be interesting and now to tie that back to uh d'angelo russell d'lo plays at a similar pace to lebron and ad that's one of the dissonances i thought lebron and ad had with russ is that 
when at their fully realized form, they're great in transition and they're flying up and down the court and you got these three athletes. It's like, oh, you know, it's too much to handle. But over the course of 82 and just the natural way that LeBron and AD play is a little bit more deliberate in ways yeah. that yeah, also suits D'Angelo Russell. That's how D'Lo likes to play. And so one of the things about us being back to the facility and getting back to practice, a lot of it's just reps, Mike. Like, I think these guys kind of have a natural way of what oh. they do fits with each other, you know? Well, and so that, that just made me like my little light bulb, which this is probably an obvious point, but one of the biggest problems the Lakers ha- have had this season, last season was crunch time. And, and yep. for a lot of these, a lot of these reasons, like if they, because they had built the team where if they weren't running, they weren't getting easy baskets. Yeah. Run or die. Once, those, yeah. <laughs> once those easy baskets started to dry up, mm-hmm. then like the other team would more often than not out execute. And I think you, you, we look at, we look back at some of these games and I mean, I don't know how many shows have been on for spectrum or even, or for LFR pods. And it's like, well, the Lakers lost nine games that they could have, would have, should have won. Ugh. And the biggest reason though, for that, I think is that, like take out the specific plays in the like the awful foul call in Boston, whatever. But why was it a possession by possession game at that point? Because the Lakers at a certain point, like you can't keep getting the easy baskets at the rim, um, even with LeBron and AD when the the defense is fully set and loaded. And and that's but if you can if you have a little bit more of a half court threat there, and this is what Russell I think represents more than anybody mm-hmm. else, then you can find ways to get buckets there. And then you don't have to go down to a shot going in um, from like a buzzer beating three from Indiana, right? Because you've scored on two of the previous six possessions instead of one of the previous six possessions <laughs> yes, or whatever it might be. So that to me represents the, the biggest area of potential growth now um, as the Lakers hit this stretch run is that since the team to bring it back to being making more sense and has Russell now in there to execute at that pace and tempo that LeBron and AD do. And if the defense wants to load up, um, we could, we haven't talked a lot about Malik Beasley uh, or somebody like that or mm-hmm. throw in Lonnie Walker in that kind of a situation who's who's getting a shot then that is open and and therefore more likely to go in late um, than if they want to keep loading that defense. Pete, you, you brought that point up like, OK, fine. If you're going to keep just loading the paint ridiculously like this, then we'll put in a couple of shooters and and take your ch- like you're going to have to watch them hit a couple of these shots late. So mm-hmm. that, that's all that the crunch time opportunity to me um it has has the chance to put this team into a a x amount of games over 500 as opposed to what they were five games under 500 Ab- absolutely and even that same dynamic impacts the rest of the game in that i think just the way we play is going to be a lot more conventional and we have a lot more different ways we can go right like different styles against different teams because to be a really good team you have to beat different teams stylistically like a golden state is a different style of team than a denver right and you can do that for a bunch of different types of teams and so that ability to shapeshift a little bit was one of the big storylines of the championship season and i think that we have more ability to do that than we did earlier this season so all right we'll be back tomorrow to uh report on what happened at practice today and preview the game against the Warriors. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points. 
16 rebounds. Shaq with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.